Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. My name is Patty Scott. I'm the Infant Quality Improvement Specialist at TIPQC, and I'm also a neonatal nurse practitioner. Today, we have the honor of talking with one of our family and patient partners, Mary Catherine Burke. Mary Catherine chairs our statewide patient and family partners committee, has served on the TIPQC board, and works at Regional One Health in Memphis as their director of special events. But more important, she is the mother of two precious babies. Welcome to our show today. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for asking me to do this. You have been a wonderful advocate and very involved in TIPQC, and I know this stemmed from your first pregnancy. Tell us about Mark. How was that pregnancy? So, yes, Mark, who now is seven, I got pregnant with Mark a little bit after I got married and had a very healthy pregnancy, no complications at all, and went up to 40 weeks, actually 41 weeks. So I had no issues. My pregnancy was a dream and I really thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Yes. So then tell us about his delivery. And did he go to the newborn nursery or did he have to go to the newborn intensive care? So my delivery was quite an interesting journey for me and my family. So like I said, Mark was 41, I was 41 weeks, everything was going well, and I needed to be induced just because I was not dilated. So I came into the hospital and was going through my induction. And during a a part of the induction, the resident saw a lesion on my cervix. Mm -hmm. And they thought the lesion looked like HSV, which is herpes. And So unbeknownst to me, there's a lot of things that go along with that diagnosis, but I had never had herpes and neither had my husband. So this was all very new. So Mm -hmm. knowing that if you deliver with something like this, that it could be very traumatic for your child. So I had to make a decision right then to either proceed with the induction, knowing there could be some major risks or just go with the C-section. And we had that lesion, we had it swabbed to see, because I knew I'd never had had this before, and they thought that this might be my first outbreak. So we chose to have a C-section. Mm-hmm. And so the C-section went fine. He came out, and he was grunting a little. So they wanted to take him up to the NICU just to be, just to watch him, just to monitor him. And I was told that that was normal, just sometimes they can get fluid. Mm -hmm. since the flu is not pushed out vaginally. So 
He went to the NICU just for a couple hours and then came up to the room with me and everything was great. But that next morning when the pediatric team was doing rounds, they came in and said, now you understand why you had a C-section? I said, yes, I understand. It was because of the potential HSV, but I don't think I have it. Well, there was some communication breakdown and I did not realize that with that diagnosis or potential diagnosis that he was going to have to spend time in the NICU as well. So it was 8 a.m. They took him to the NICU. The pediatric team told me that they had to follow the Red Book with a spinal tap and a few other tests to make sure he did not have this. Mm. So as a new mom, you never expect that you're going to have your child go to the NICU. And, and to hear that and you have them with you in the room and then, they have to, then they're taken away is so traumatic. So I was just a wreck. I was crying, thinking about the test that my son had to go through because of me. And so mm-hmm. it, was, it was a very, very sad, traumatic time for me. So he was in the NICU for three days. And when my test came back negative, he was then able to be released from the NICU. So that was a, it was a a battle that we had overcome because we knew deep down in our heart that I didn't have this, but of course we had to follow the protocol and we want to make sure he was safe. So that was just the first part of our journey. And as we were discharging from the NICU to go home after we got over this hurdle, I came in to feed him, to nurse him, and he threw up. And the nurse said, we got to give this another try. This is, this is kind of weird. He hasn't been eating. He didn't eat before you came. His overnight feed was okay, but, you know, he's just got, he's, you got to try again. We need to see. So he threw up again, and then he had a bloody stool. Mm-hmm. So I saw the look on my mother, who was a former, who was a nurse, She looked at the nurse and they had this panic look and they took him down. He was in the step down NICU at that point. They took him down to the big NICU to get Mm x-rays. So this is when our second journey started. We were told that he had air in his bowels. So he had what was potentially NEC, necrotizing enterocolitis. Okay. And Mm -hmm. we needed to be transferred to the children's hospital which was across the street. Hmm. So as you can imagine, again, it's just, what? How does this happen? And I will never forget hearing those words, necrotizing inner colitis and air in your bowels. And you don't, I didn't understand at all what that meant. And how does air get in your bowels? And what does that look like? We saw the x-ray, but it's just so foreign, those words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as he was waiting to be transferred over to the children's hospital, I remember just, you could see him declining. He was screaming, his hands were up, he was turning red, and then he would calm down and you could just tell he was in so much pain. Hmm. So we transferred over to the children's hospital where he was treated. And at that point, When he transferred over, my husband and I went home just to shower and change and come back. And my mom transferred over with him. 
and they assessed him, got him stable. But the physician said, you know, if he, if he is not, does it calm down and his heart rate goes down, we're going to have to intubate, intubate him, which I know she was just praying that that didn't happen. And it didn't. He was, he calmed down. The medicine subside helped him. Mm-hmm. So we then transferred over to the children's hospital and we're in the NICU there. And as that journey goes on, that next day, during rounds, the physician said he was clinically improving. We were on meds, we were on NPO, and we spent another month at the Children's Hospital kind of doing this NPO, not on feeds, then on feeds, seeing how he could tolerate it, and trying to figure out how a full-term baby gets mm-hmm. NEC. Mm-hmm. Which, as you know, Patty, seems very rare. Or that's what we learned. It is very rare. It's very rare. Mm-hmm. This is a roller coaster. You know, you come in at term gestation expecting to have a vaginal delivery. You're so excited. Your first baby. And kudos to the, to the resident for seeing a lesion and, and wanting to be careful. And kudos to you for being willing to go through a C-section with an iffy reason. I mean, it's a great reason to do it, but you and your husband were very secure. You didn't have HSV. I commend you for going on with the C-section. That was the best thing to do for Mark, obviously. And then you get through that ordeal. The results come back negative. So it's a moot point. Mark is fine. And then he ends up with NEC and you're back going on the roller coaster again. My goodness. Mm, my heart's breaking for you, Mary Catherine. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it was it was just one thing after another, I know. And mm. when we were at the Children's Hospital again, I know I said I didn't understand what necrotizing intercolitis meant. I kept, I was saying those words in my head over and over so I could even remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was so hard. But I think us as parents, NICU moms and dads, and any support system, you just, there is a strength inside of you that you just find and you just keep going. And Mm -hmm. during this whole process, I think I became such an advocate for my son and trying to figure out why he got this, what was causing it. And that was, it was so much research we were doing. We were calling in GI. And of course, we had surgery that would come see us. And so we were trying to learn and figure out, take tests if there was different things that were causing this. We honestly didn't know if because of the HSV, because he was on some antibiotics while he was in that first day at the NICU, if that could have caused it. So it was constant research. And and, and we felt like we were many doctors trying to follow this journey and and be there and report out how he was doing over the night. So we finally got to the point where he was able to tolerate feeds. We did an upper GI enema where they put the dye in his mouth and it went down his upper stomach. Mm-hmm. He tolerated that okay. And he was having and he was taking feeds. So so about a month being there, we went home and it was wonderful. We mm-hmm. came home. It was the best feeling in the world because I was still trying to nurse, but it is so hard when you're in the NICU to try and nurse, and especially when they're NPO and pumping. It is it is very difficult. So we went home, 
and we were home for three days and he threw up again mm-hmm. a little. And mm-hmm. then I saw a speck of blood in his diaper. Mm-hmm. So that next morning we went back, we went, well, we went to the pediatrician is what we went to. Cause I just, you know, was, we were discharged. So mm-hmm. she saw us and she said with his history, I think he, we got to take you back to the children's hospital. So we went back to the children's hospital, went to the emergency room and they did another x-ray and there was air in his bowels again. And I mean, again, I broke down, couldn't believe it. I mean, it's, you just, you don't understand. It's like your world's crumbling. Like what Mm -hmm. is happening and why is this happening? Mm -hmm. So we were in the ER. They said, we need to admit you. And the nurse in the ER called up to the NICU. And at times, I think I'm sure all NICU mothers and families can feel like there are these bright spots that somebody is watching over you. And this was one is they called the NICU and the person that answered was the fellow attending or the fellow, excuse me, neonatologist Mm -hmm. who had seen us at our first NICU stay. And they told them that we were downstairs and the fellow said, okay, you can admit them to the NICU. Because what I learned was after 24 hours of being out of the NICU, they don't typically readmit you in the NICU. They usually send you to the PICU floor. Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. Exactly. So she said, okay, send them up. So we went back to the NICU, which was a blessing just Mm -hmm. because of the two to one care we had and the constant watching. So we went back up to the NICU and they were admitting us and and taking x-rays and and doing all their admission testing. And they took an x-ray and the x-ray tech told us that they saw air leaking Mm. from the Mm x-ray. So he had a perforation of his bowels, the hole in his bowels. So they said, we've got to take him to emergency surgery. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we, again, were showering and coming back because my mother had come to relieve me. So we get the news, my husband and I, that he's going into emergency surgery. So we come up and we come up to the room and the physician's there, the surgeon's there, And we have to sign papers and the surgeon is trying to describe to me what might happen in the surgery. Mm. Again, it's this terminology that is so foreign to me. And it was, she was talking about that she was going to have to put a bag on him. Mm -hmm. And later I realized it would, could be a colostomy and she was talking, there'd be a bag. We would, I just, what I vividly remember is her talking about this bag. I didn't understand what she was saying because when you hear that your child is going into surgery, you just don't process everything and you only hear a few words. And when those few words stick out, I remember saying to her before she took him said, if you don't have to give him, put this bag on, can, will you not please? Because it just sounded awful the way she was describing it. I just didn't understand it. So They took him down. He tolerated everything. Well, comes back and he's got the bag. And so I figure it out. It's a colostomy. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to do that just so they could kind of figure out what was going on. So we spent another month or so, month and a half in the hospital. And 
from the NICU, we got moved up to the regular floor, the PICU, the pediatric ICU area. Mm -hmm. And it is wonderful, but just being down in the NICU is it's nice and it's very hard when you transfer to floors because we were in a room with no windows to the outside and in the NICU you can see what's going on in the hall. So it was it was an adjustment, but again, we're still trying to do research, figure out what's going on. And the colostomy, I just I would watch the nurses change it and it's hard. I know it's so hard on them. They have so many patients to take care of, but when I'm in the room and the bag would get full and it just kind of became it just became tougher on them to change it in time without it getting red. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to learn so I can just do this. And there had been some talk that babies don't discharge with a colostomy bag. Mm-hmm. So I said, no, that that's not going to happen. I'm going to learn. So I learned how to do it, would change it myself. I wanted to know how to do it at home. I wanted them to understand that we could do this at home and it would be okay. So after he started gaining weight and I had my training on the bag and changing all that, it was, and he was eating and seemed to be doing fine. We discharged and we discharged with the plan that we would be seen outpatient to do a barium enema where they shut the dye up his bottom and Mm -hmm. see if we could find anything there. So we were home. We were home for about five weeks. And in that five weeks, we did the barium enema and they found a stricture. And so again, it was that, that's what it was. There was a narrowing of his colon. And when that happened, I'm just not sure because when they had the first surgery, they said that it didn't look like there was a narrowing anywhere. So we made the plan that we would come back in, have surgery, remove that stricture, and then close him back up with the colostomy. Mm -hmm. So we did that. We came in for the surgery. He did that, closed him up, took 11 centimeters out of his bowel, and we recovered from surgery, got him back eating again, and discharged. And that was in July of 2016. And I had him in April. Oh my goodness. So after all that, I mean, a blessing from God, we have had no issues. After that surgery, I remember the surgeon would say, he is a perfectly healthy boy. Treat him as a perfectly healthy boy. And of Mm -hmm. course, I'm like, how do you expect me to do that after all that we have gone through? But Mm -hmm. it was true. I mean, it took a, it took some time for us to get that mindset, but he is a perfectly healthy child. Oh, that's wonderful. You so, know, sitting, listening to you, thinking about the, the necrotizing enterocolitis, the neck, that's usually in a preterm baby, as you mentioned, and usually the most preterm of the preterm. And babies that are fed breast milk have a less risk of NEC even as a preterm baby. So you were doing everything right. And this happened. And I just think in my experience in the NICU, we see so many moms and dads that are doing everything right, everything perfectly. And something like this still happens. And moms always take on so much guilt. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
the guilt is so hard because you question everything you did while you were pregnant. And even with HSV diagnosis, it's like, what if I do? And how did I get this? And I've caused this. And there's so much guilt. And there's so much guilt with the breastfeeding too, because there got to a point when he was in the children's hospital that I was really not producing enough breast milk. And it was another added stressor for me. And again, it's the guilt of that because it's everywhere you see breast milk is best and you do it until you can't do it anymore. And it's, there's just a tremendous amount of guilt of the, you're supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. And if you're not, it's going to affect your baby. But it's one of those things, and I tell any new mom, whether they've been in the NICU or not, it's you are doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can't be said enough because it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're giving them breast milk or not, you are doing your best. And right. I think we're the first ones to just beat ourselves up and we take the most hits. I agree. So, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. Well, so a few, so Mark is perfect now. And a yes. few years later, you are blessed with a little girl. I Mar- am. Margaret so, Margaret Jane, yes. Tell us about her. How did she do after delivery? So I was blessed with getting pregnant again. And I had was just longing to get pregnant again and wanting my experience to be different. And my whole goal was to be able to leave the hospital with my child because I did not get to experience that with Mark. So I was so blessed to get pregnant. We did not find out what we were having and had a great pregnancy again, went in, ended up having to have a C-section only because they thought the cord was wrapped around her neck. Her heart rate was dropping. So everything was fine there. She did really well. I'm back. She's with me. All is going well. And then she started turning blue just through. There was, it was almost, I had to look at pictures. My mom was taking pictures of us and we were looking through some pictures and her coloring was off and she started, she just, she had a different coloring and we noticed it. And it about that time when we were starting to question it, the pediatric team came in to do their assessment. And they looked at her and her stats were dropping. So and you're they talking about called, oxygen saturations, right? Yes, excuse me. Yes, her oxygen saturation was dropping. Yes, sorry. Mm-hmm. And okay. they're assessing her in the room and I'm watching this and they are saying, they said, come on, Margaret Jane, let's try and get this. Let's, if, if, if this doesn't, if we don't get your oxygen up, we're going to have to call our friends in the NICU. And I heard that. And I mean, I was, my heart was racing. Well, they had to call the NICU. So the NICU came and they had to take her upstairs. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I was going through this again. Mm -hmm. Well, she was diagnosed with pneumonia. And I think from what I, everything I can understand, it was probably because of the C-section and her swallowing some fluid. And it got infected. Mm-hmm. So we spent a week in the NICU. Now, a week is nothing compared to what I dealt with with my son, Mark. But it's still a week. Know, it's, it's still a week. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, my whole goal was to leave with my child. You 
even with a C-section, I mean, you're out the door in two to three days. Mm-hmm. And so it was time for me to discharge. I was going from my room, of course, to visit her to nurse. And it was time for me to discharge. And I just said, okay, can I please stay? I was really trying to, to figure out when she could be discharged, when I could be, because she was on antibiotics and she was improving every day, which was great. So what the hospital let me do was stay on a courtesy stay for two days so I could leave with her. Mm -hmm. So I was able to walk out the door with my daughter and actually fulfill the dream that I had had. So Mm -hmm. she, everything was perfectly fine. Once the pneumonia cleared up, she was perfectly fine. There were some heart questions, but I think it just all had to do with her being a newborn and so there was nothing wrong there. But when we left, ever since then, she's been perfectly healthy. So Wonderful. it was not a journey that I wanted to go through again, but it turned out well. The roller coaster, the emotions, I can't even imagine. So I have a question. Medical care providers, I think we all try to do the very best we can in keeping parents up to date and explaining things in terms they can understand and answering questions. But I know we can do better. What suggestions or what hints do you have for our audience that might be a medical care provider? What advice do you have when they need to talk to families about bad news, future hopes, anything like that? What is your advice, Mary Catherine? So I've been asked this question before, and definitely when we do our Patient, our patient family council, we always try and come up with different ways to help providers talk with families. And I think it's a few things. I think that one, it's definitely getting on the family's level, meaning not the big words or the, the necrotizing intercolitis. You can say that word, but just dumbing it down so we can understand. And also, I do think pictures are helpful to understand what's going on with your child so that you can actually see it and you may help understand that. And spending the time talking with families Mm -hmm. and making sure they understand is huge, too. And continuing to check in with them. But I think the biggest is trying to just get on on our levels so we, we fully grasp what's being told of us. Something that, that I have noticed in, in my practice, everyone's on their phone. Everyone's going to Dr. Google to look something yeah. up. And always ask families to not do that. Google is not a reliable source of information. It has bias. It has inaccurate information. So I always think it's a good idea to tip, give websites that are good resources for parents. March of Dimes, A1, Center for Disease Control, American Academy of Pediatrics, because they're going to look up and, and that's okay. I don't blame them for looking up, but just to try to encourage them to look at sites that are going to have unbiased, accurate information. I think that's a great idea because... You're, you're right. I mean, that's what you, you're, you have a lot of downtime and you're just there and you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And you do end up Googling. So mm-hmm. I think that's a great idea. 
And another thing that was really helpful for us is I kind of learned that I needed to latch on to something. And so if I could just get like, what is the one thing we're focusing on right now that's going to help move my child forward? So whether that was just, we need him to eat X amount or Mm -hmm. just, just a small little, little milestone, something you could, a goal you could work on, or, or that was your focus. Something to try and just help. Something you could measure. Yes, correct. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. I hope, I'm sure the parents that are listening have gained some information and some ideas. And if nothing else, they understand that other people go through this journey. And there are support groups for families who have NICU babies. There are some support groups out there. So maybe they'll also reach out to that. So as we're wrapping up, I have one final question, okay? If you could create a giant billboard that had any public service message on it that you got to choose, something that you want all moms and dads to see, what would it say? Well, I think it would say what I said prior is you're doing a great job. Just a reaffirmation that you're doing a great job, no matter what you're doing, but you are. So I definitely think that's what I would say. I love that. I love that. And you're right. They are, everyone's doing the best they can. And that's all we can do. That's all we can do. And reach out with questions and ask for help. I agree. Mary Catherine, thank you so much. We really appreciate you sharing your time, your expertise, and your personal journey. I think everyone can learn quite a bit from it. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.